What's going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 podcast. Today, I am bringing you another interview with Nate Guja. Now, he is a beast. Today's episode was very interesting. It was interesting because I am typically typically the guy that makes people feel incredibly comfortable when coming onto the podcast and moving away from the CNN, very corporate structure. Nate actually did that for me. Not that I was nervous, but he actually made me feel incredibly comfortable where we started to get into a nice conversation about all things employer branding. And it was like two guys at a local pub, two guys over over, you know, over a nice steak dinner, just having some some good conversations about employer branding, about entrepreneurship, about employee experience, coming up with new ideas around my business. It was incredibly interesting of the type of conversations we were having and the and the comfortability that I felt when talking with Nate for the first time, honestly, in a, in a, in a kind of structured format. So Nate, I wanna say first and foremost, thank you for that. Secondly, you guys need to listen to this episode. If you care at all about anything to do with employer branding, and especially if you're a startup or a small business, you should definitely tune in. We talked about a lot of things that have to do with how do you infuse empathy and authenticity and reality into your employer branding strategy and how you do that at scale consistently. So again, Nate Guja really brought it today. He was able to make me feel comfortable, which led to us having a very authentic, tangible, practical conversation about all things employer branding. And I am positive you guys will enjoy today's episode. So again, I'm going to stop ranting. I promise you guys I would stop doing that as much. So again, thank you, Nate. Thank you to all the listeners of the E1B2 podcast. And I assure you, you will enjoy today's episode. Thanks a lot. Nate, I, I do appreciate you coming onto the podcast today. Uh, I know that we have been uh, trying to get you on here, so I do appreciate that. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. I, I'm excited. I love having these kinds of conversations. So, yeah, I, I appreciate the invite. Perfect. Um, I don't typically like to do the big, big background and intro. I, um, uh, I'm that guy that when I listen to a podcast, I immediately just like drag my finger across the, the phone screen <laughs> there and go to 15 minutes in. Yep. Um, so um, give us give us a brief type, but thorough if you can. I know that's a weird combination um, okay. background of, of who you are. But more importantly, maybe not more importantly, because I care about you as a person, but um, <laughs> what what your business does as well. So maybe give us a little bit of who you are and then also kind of give us a deep dive into into what your brand does and what you're about and and uh, let us know a little bit more. Okay, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Nate Guja. I lead brand marketing for a company called Job Portraits. Um, we're, we are a creative studio that specializes in employer branding content. Um, so it's a very niche market that we serve. Um, we work almost exclusively with growth stage VC-backed tech companies, um, primarily Bay Area, um, although now um, we're starting to work in other you know, pretty hot tech hubs, but uh, we're technically located in the Bay Area, which is where all of our relationships are. Um, but we are a fully remote team. We've been remote from from the start. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the, the gist of what Job Portraits does. Um, I can go into my background a little bit if you want. But, please, um, please. Yeah. So, um, you know, employer branding is, is one of these kind of like emerging areas of, of talent acquisition and recruiting um, is starting to, to get a lot more name recognition 18 months or two years ago. Uh, not really anybody, especially in the U.S. or, or in the tech community, knew what it was. Um, but um, I, I spent some time in recruiting. Um, I've spent most of my career in sales and marketing roles, especially at early stage startups. And um, after I spent some time in recruiting, I saw that the process itself was really broken um, and I did a, a, there was a period of time where I sold into creative agencies and I just, I've always had this, I don't know, this love of creative work. Um, I think it's like not some of it, it's not just beautiful. It just can have a big impact on the way that customers and the market views the companies that they support. Um, and so I came across job portraits. I was looking for a job and I saw this like combination of like creative agency that, influences recruiting, but I had no idea what employer branding even was. Um, I just, I just knew I wanted to work in some kind of a creative agency environment. Um, and that's kind of like what, how I got my foot in the door. Um, I came in, didn't know really anything, just 
kind of applied a marketing lens to this whole entire industry. And once I was able to do that, um, things lined up and they started to click. And then I became extremely passionate about employer branding, um, especially as it applies to startups. Um, I think it's a, it's a different animal than employer branding at a fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's the world that I live my day to day in. I'm extremely passionate about it. And I'm always looking at ways to kind of like push this industry and elevate the level of awareness around this industry, because I think it's, it, it's something that is really, really needed. And most companies, frankly, just miss on it. You know, one, one core thing that I love, uh, Nate, is the fact that you are focusing in a very niche category, which is, you know, venture backed startups. Um, something that uh, I think I talked to you briefly about uh, weeks ago, and people that listen to this podcast know about this is, you know, kind of what I'm building with the E1 Beach Collective is also focused around directly supporting the startup community and venture back startups that are that are inevitably scaling. I think, uh, you know, for me, and, and I would love to get your point of view on why you wanted to start in that particular section. But for me, being a VP of people for two startups, for me, being someone that has founded two startups early in my career and operated those, I realized that there's so much good that can come from moving fast, moving quickly, making mistakes, hustling, grinding, and just trying to build. But there's so much bad that can come from not being thoughtful, not putting things in place, not being strategic, not understanding all the different dynamics and aspects that are inevitably connected to employee experience. And so mm -hmm. that was kind of the reason of why I wanted to jump in because my perspective was, hey, I know through personal experience and just looking at it from a macro perspective, the importance of focusing on these startups and really helping them um, because they're not going to help themselves. We know that they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're not going to focus on these things at a thoughtful level uh, in an isolated bucket. They're going to really focus on product innovation, moving fast, making mistakes, you know, bouncing around things and just trying to get shit done. Um, yeah. So that was kind of why I wanted to be thoughtful and to help out that beginning stage. What was uh, what, what was your mindset? What was your perspective? What was the motivation for you starting at this uh, at this level? Yeah, so I came in like I, I was lucky enough to come in into a company like that was already like we like our foundation was already built when I when I joined Job Portraits. Um, but the way that Job Portraits started is pretty interesting. Um, so one of our co-founders, like we're, we're pretty unique company in, in a lot of ways. Culturally, we're extremely unique. Um, and I think we're very, very special um, in a lot of ways. But we have a husband and wife co-founding team, which is pretty rare. Um, and so they had moved to San Francisco. And Jackson, the husband, was looking for a, a product job with Bay Area startups. And doing his research, he couldn't find any of the, the relevant information that he was really looking for to, to want to learn more about an organization. Um, more specifically, he couldn't find what these companies' cultures were like. There just like wasn't any content in his research that he could find. And as a journalist, he's an ex-journalist. Most of everybody on the team are ex-journalists. Um, he's very inquisitive. And he just like went straight to that point and thought, well... Maybe I can start interviewing people to find the information that I actually want um, as a way to like get me in the door and start getting myself interviews for job opportunities. So he, so he reached out to a bunch of founders in the Bay Area at the time, cold like pitched them on like coming in and interviewing them. And in return, as like a thank you for their time, just creating a blog post um, talking about what he learned. Um, so that quickly turned into founders going like, whoa, this is content that probably a lot of other candidates would really like and that we can use to start marketing job opportunities. So that job portraits just happened that way. Um, and we started with like, with this curiosity, I think, and this idea of like, well, maybe we can solve a problem that's existing and then went from there. And then as a result, you know, we like, they were lucky enough to get in with a lot of the, the, predominant VCs in the Bay Area, and then the, the startup community that we were involved in just kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, I've spent a lot of time working in the startup world, um, especially like really early stage. Um, and I've been a candidate with a lot of startups. And I was able to see how that process is really broken um, experientially. Yep. Um, so, and you were talking about candidate experience. And um, it's true. I mean, it, it, there's a problem and I understand it. Like I have a lot of empathy 
for founders and for leadership at startups when you're raising money, you're growing extremely fast, you have investors to answer to, and you have numbers to hit. Like I can't, I, I have a lot of empathy for it, but at the same, at the same time, like it's easy for me to say like these other things matter, but I can't even begin to put myself in their shoes and, and understand the level of responsibility and weight that they carry when they're trying to balance, like taking really good care of their people and satisfying all of these other things that are out there, you know? Um, and so that's kind of like the good fight that I'm fighting or that we're fighting is like, how do we, how do we like merge the two? Because I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think it's like scale and treat your people like shit or treat your people really good and sacrifice scale. I think you you do both. Um, And that's like what I'm really motivated by is like finding that middle ground where you can blend the two. I agree. And, and, you know, for me, um, you know, for me, and I guess we'll put a bow in it from this level and, and please let us know kind of what employer branding is, because I'll be very frank, yeah. you know, for me, I, uh, employer branding, like you were saying and alluding to is kind of a newish thing from a, from a, from a word, like putting a word to it. A lot of the core principles and tactics and things have kind of always been there, but I think what's now happening is there's more of a structure around the word, but I guess to put a bow on what you were saying, for me, um, it, 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 there is a nice balance that has to take place. Um, I was actually just on a call with the founder just before I hopped on with you and just, you know, building out my network as I'm building, putting together my collective and getting, getting the operations kind of flushed out and the services flushed out, looking to kind of get my foot in the ground there and, and build some relationships. And they were, you know, they were providing me a lot of objective feedback where they were saying, you know, you know, at a logical level, yeah, you know, at a logical and emotional level, I understand the importance of operationalizing employee experience and thinking about all these big buckets, but they were like, I'm going to be frank with you. Number one, I don't have any freaking clue about anything you're talking about, you know, yeah. like, yeah. And, and, and that, and that was so alarming slash it made sense to me, right? Because I didn't, right? I, I don't know if you remember my story, Nate, but you know, yeah, the long story short of it is like, I, I didn't know that stuff. I, I made a crucial mistake that cost me a business, you know? Um, and so I was not thinking about anything around per employee experience. The, the bare minimum of what I was thinking about is payroll and I don't know, hiring <laughs> and, 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 and making sure I don't get sued. I don't know. Like, and so I have empathy for them, but um, so yeah, there, there is a nice fine balance that, that has to be uh, that, that, that those founders have to walk. Um, but for those that don't know about the nuts and the bolts, what would be a 30-second, 45-second elevator pitch of what exactly employer branding actually is and why startups should really care about it, even though there's so many other things to focus on? Um, why should they care about it and what is it? Yeah. Okay, I'm really happy you're bringing this up. I was actually thinking about this idea this morning, not about what employer branding is, but that the most simple things are masked in fancy terminology. Yes, they are. Um, and I hate fancy terminology. The only reason I actually use it is because it has marketability. Mm-hmm. Um, some terminology just has built in market awareness. So if you use it, a certain number of people who care about those words will understand what you're talking about. Um, if I didn't have to use those words, I want it. Uh, but it's, it's just easier and smarter to do, I think. So, so we use them, but like, if you look at what, it, what is employer branding, like after you strip away all the buzzwords and fluffy terminology, employer branding is what your candidates and employees believe to be true or not about what it's like to work at your company. Um, but the thing that, the thing to remember is like, is that that perception exists regardless of what you do. So employer branding isn't like do this or that, it's your employer brand exists regardless of if you do anything or apply any level of creativity or initiative behind it. Um, and most of that perception exists out of your control um, because it's up to people and it's up to their perception. And employer branding is just an attempt to gain a level of influence over that perception. Um, and start controlling the conversation or the narrative or the, the perspective 
that both employees and candidates have about your company. And what happens most of the time is because this stuff gets swept under the rug or pushed by the wayside, or it's like not even a thought is that that perception is just left up to those two markets and there's no attempt to influence it. And as a result, you see glass door reviews mm-hmm. and you see people talking out about their experience at companies. And like the, the really important thing to know is that employees and candidates talk a lot. They talk a lot. Some talk publicly, but all of them talk in back channel conversations that we don't see online. And like, that is very, very real. And so whether you want to invest a whole bunch of money into employer branding or not, you just have to be very thoughtful and realize that this perception exists. That was a great way of describing it. I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, I, think, um, I think to your last point, that's something I've always believed in as it pertains to employee experience. You know, I was talking to my latest employer before I decided to start out on my third venture here. You know, when I first started at the company, I said, you know, what are your thoughts on employee experience? And he was giving me a lot of traditional HR stuff. And I said, when I think of employee experience, when I think of employer branding, the very first thing I think of is what is the perception every single person in this company has? Well, not you as a leader, but what do they think of the second your logo comes into their head? What do they think of as they're eating dinner with their family? What are they saying to their girlfriend, to their fiance, to their mother, to their husband, to their boyfriend, to their friends? What are they thinking of Sunday night at 930 as they're getting their clothes ready for the next morning? What are they thinking of when it, when it pertains to your brand, whether they are potentially going in for a job interview and they just heard about your company through the grapevine or, or what are they thinking about as an employee and they're getting ready to go into that next morning? And, you know, for me, that's kind of the foundation of I try to think about what energies and what perspectives and what I want these people to be inevitably saying rather than. Um, the more traditional bare bones HR things that I think a lot of leaders uh, are are living into. Um, So, you know, what are some, what are some aspects of employer branding that you feel at a very surface level, every startup should at least understand um, and try to start operationalizing. I mean, what are, I'm sure there's a long list and a deep bucket of what people can do from an employer branding standpoint, but from your POV, what would be two or three high level things that um, that they should at least be educated in and, and, and understand at a macro level and should be thinking about, let's call it as they move from three employees to 15 or as they move from, yeah. you know, you know, being very small to now beginning to grow. What, what are those things they should think about? Okay. Good question. Um, so there, I'll, I'll get like, um, I'll get really tactical, please, but, please. I, but I think, um, at the same time, like it starts with, um, the perception. Now, if you're, if you're an early stage company, um, getting this level of feedback is going to be pretty simple. You, you actually like all might be sitting in the same room. Yeah. Um, right. But like, as you start growing, it gets more and more difficult because people are just naturally working in more siloed environments. Um, but I think like one, understanding that perception. I, I'm not sold that companies need to go through an extensive process to uncover their values and go through like all of that when they're, when they're at an early or even like mid stage. Um, I think like knowing what roots you, like what kind of principles, um, and what, like what your ethos is, is important because that's like, your kind of like your North star. But, um, I think it's really about getting feedback from your employees. Um, if you've been operating for, six months, a year, two years, three years, whatever, like things, things change. And, and in startup mode, um, they can change very quickly. And so having those, like, whether, whether you need to conduct focus groups for larger organizations, or you just need to like have check-in one-on-ones with your employees, like understand like current, current day, what is your perception of this company? Transparent as possible. Like, tell me what you think. Right. Um, because then that's going to, that's going to one, like give you some like really great gems to then start creating content off of, or two, it's going to like sound the alarm that some things like really need to start changing because if you don't change them, then it's just going to like exponentially get worse. Um, so, so one is like, take a step back. Somebody needs to lead an initiative to get a finger on the pulse of this, of the culture of like, what is, what's up like in this, in this company right now, Mm -hmm. how are people feeling 
tactically speaking, um, there's a couple, there's an idea and then core pieces of content that I think every company should create. And very few are actually doing this. Um, the concept is attract and repel at the top of the funnel. Um, if you're, if you're an early stage company, especially you probably don't have a robust or, or any level of recruiting function. You might be outsourcing your recruiting to, mm -hmm. to an agency or your founders are doing it or department heads are doing it, right? You might have like your VP or, or head of engineering doing some recruiting. Your founders might be conducting interviews, whatever. And so you don't have time to talk to the wrong people. Um, and so if you double down on like buzzwords again, <laughs> hang on, uh, transparency and authenticity, but what it means is the truth and you create core pieces of content that candidates can see or that you can send to candidates before you actually speak to them to help them either opt in or out of your company is going to save you a whole lot of time. And you're going to optimize for quality over quantity. Quantity is the worst metric in recruiting, especially for startups. It will like, it will bog you down. It will waste your time and um, you'll just, you'll, you'll spin your wheels. It's just, you have to optimize for quality. Um, and the way to do that, in my opinion, is content at the top of the funnel that is extremely transparent. Content uh, where? Content where? So content is gonna live. So, so if you're a startup, your recruiting process is primarily outbound to passive candidates. Um, so you need to be sending them like, specific pieces of content in your outbound messaging. Um, you should be promoting it on social. It should be Are we on talking like blogs, videos, like, like I, I want to get as granular as you can get. Like, yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get into that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'll get into that. I'm just telling you like where it could live. I, lo so, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So primarily, so think of this as sales enablement for outbound recruiting. Um, it's going to help whoever is doing your recruiting, um, have more productive, more meaningful conversations. Um, Again, it'll live on your career site. And then when somebody applies, if somebody just like, if you get it inbound, you send them this before you have conversations. So at least they come in like well-educated and expectations are set. Now, from a tactical standpoint, those core pieces of content, like I'm on, I'm on this kick right now of like going back to basics because I realize that most companies don't even have the basics in place and it's easy to get, sorry, were you gonna say something? No, I was gonna say a thousand percent, thousand percent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in like, in the shiny objects of employer branding. We got to create a video. We have to do this or that, whatever. When like, there's some evergreen pieces of content that can have a long shelf life that will have actually a bigger impact on the candidate experience itself. And so if you think about this, like if I was, a, if I had a candidate, if I was a candidate and I started researching my company, what do I wish showed up on Google? Like, what do I wish that, that they they found what kind of information on my company do i wish they saw and when i do like i do a number of audits on companies to like understand like their candidate experience where they're missing the mark and like help you know give them like tactical advice it's amazing how many companies like i go and just start researching and i don't even know what they do as a company i'm like what like what is this you know like if i was a candidate i'd be like what the hell like i'm out you know like i i can't I can't even figure out what you do. Um, but what do I always showed up on Google? And then you list everything from there. But here are like the core pieces of content. One, write a blog post about your process for hiring new team members. Like, how do you think about the candidates? What is the process they're going to go through? What are the steps they're going to take? Like transparency. So if I'm a candidate, I like that manages expectations up front and everybody is clear about the process. Um, write a blog post about your criteria for evaluating candidates. That's like the thought process and the things that matter more to your specific organization than maybe other organizations. Like for instance, with job portraits, like one of our strongest values is asking great questions. Like a candidate needs to know that coming in. They need to know that like, not only does that matter, but it, but it, it almost matters more than anything. So does emotional intelligence. We, we look at emotional intelligence um, more than just like straight up intellect. You know, like there's certain things like that we evaluate candidates based off of because of who we are as an organization. You should write a blog post about that. Um, 
You should write a blog post that is a cheat sheet for understanding your business. This is where you can explain in like basic layman's terms, like what the hell you do as an organization. This is who we are. This is the product we build. This is who we serve. This is why we do it. It's like, so if I can read that, I'm just like hundred percent clear, like in basic terms, like, oh, this is what you do. Because again, like going back to what we were saying earlier, fancy terminology, it just confuses people. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think every company should have an opinion piece on their industry. Um, and what that does is, especially coming from a founder, it's, this is like your stake in the ground. This is why you're doing the work that you're doing, because this is the problem you see with your industry. Um, and if you were to create those, those pieces of content, those can live for a really long time. And those are extremely tactical that you can send to candidates before they apply, when they apply, as they're going through interviews to get them fully prepared, educated, and aligned with who you are. And if they don't align, they can opt themselves out. I love it. Cool. I have a thought. Yeah. I was okay. going to wait until the end of this or not the end, but I was going to wait till we got a little bit deeper down, but you started talking about a couple of things that I've been thinking about. So um, I'm a co-founder in an initiative that's under the banner of the E1B2 Collective. The E1B2 Collective is a, is a holding company that houses a bunch of brands and it's a collective of practitioners. And so there's a, there's a service and a product called Beyond Resume that I will not bore you with right now. Okay. But there's something else that I'm mulling over, if you will, but I'm not educated enough in the employer branding space to figure out if I should build it or if I should maybe collaborate with someone like you or if there's already things like this happening. And it's kind of like a beyond the brand. And here's what I mean by that. You're starting to talk about things that I was thinking about in this beyond the brand kind of consulting service slash kind of copywriting, employer branding, kind of, you know, putting out the thoughts of the world, i.e. applicants will be able to kind of consume this information. Here's a couple of categories here. Tell me if this falls in line with what should happen or is currently happening, happening inside of employer branding. Now, these okay. things are very deep and very tactical. So for me, what I'm building with my company is I want to make sure employees fully understand at a selfish level what type of experiences and what type of companies they need to walk into. Me and you both know very few employees are being thoughtful from that lens at a selfish level. Very few employees selfishly understand what type of environments they want to walk into. They are either grateful to have a job or they are just thinking about the high level buckets, finances, benefits, um, certain other compensation aspects and just the aesthetics of the brand. Very few employees are thinking about things like this. What are the decision-making structures, right? How, how does this brand make decisions, right? How does this brand make decisions based off of that at macro level and as it pertains to the job that I'm applying to? Do they appreciate innovation? If they do, how do they appreciate ideas being presented to leaders? Um, you know, what's their pace of processing decision making so if i bring a new idea to the table how fast of a turnaround can i expect them to process this do i do i have the autonomy do i not have the autonomy and if i do have the autonomy can you present me examples of what that autonomy looks like so that i can be well prepared when i walk into this job are mm -hmm. those are those type of things maybe they're happening at your company but i know for a fact nate and i'm going to be very objective here i've worked for I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. I've, I've, worked, I've worked for, not including when I was a kid, like I'm talking like full-fledged adult Anthony here. I've worked mm -hmm. for two jobs, two companies. And I didn't see any of this stuff anywhere. I didn't, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know to ask these questions. They didn't bring it up to me. I didn't see any of what I just said any, anywhere. I haven't seen it as I have. I didn't do this when I was building my companies. I have a ton of executives and entrepreneur friends and CEOs and people that they're not you know, exposing any of these details and these perspectives to their people prior to, to, to coming on board. Is what I just said underneath the bucket of employer branding? And before you answer, should brands be that transparent about the decision-making process or should be, or should be transparent about whether they give autonomy or don't, if they do give autonomy, what it looks like 
when they do give autonomy and the flexibility an employee has, and if they are flexible, like, should they go that in depth? I think objectively the answer should be yes, based off of what the employee would get prior to that. But will brands and leaders go that deep? That's my question. Is this already happening? Take it away. Okay. Um, No, that is largely not happening. Um, I am, I'm very lucky to be at a company where it is happening. Um, Like, for example, here, um, let me tell you, I'll tell you about like my experience with job portraits as a candidate was so good that I didn't actually even get hired up front by them. They actually hired somebody else instead of me the first time I interviewed with them. But I had such a wonderful experience with them that I just like naturally kept following up. They sent me so much information that you're like deep information that like got me to like the heart of like what, who these people are, not even like what this company is about. It's like, who are these, who, who these people are, who will I be sitting next to, right? You know, quote unquote, sitting next to every day. This is how they think. This is how they operate as a company, everything. And everything aligned so much. And, and I had such a wonderful experience in all of my interviews that I just like naturally kept following up with them. You know, like I, yeah, that's just like who I am. I follow up a lot anyway, but like, I was just compelled to stay in touch with these people um, because they had such an impact on me. That speaks to true candidate experience. Um, Now, what you're describing, I wish there was complete transparency because what it's going to do is it's going to save people a lot of time and it's going to manage expectations. So for example, here's one thing that I learned by being part of job portraits that, that now I tell candidates when they apply to work with us. And like when I conduct interviews, please, um, you, you spoke about autonomy. Okay. Before I joined job portraits, I've experienced autonomy, but not nearly to the level that I've experienced it with job portraits. And I was not prepared for it. I thought I was thought my background prepared me for it. I thought I had high risk tolerance, blah, 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 like all this kind of stuff coming in. But when I walked in day one and they hired me after they hired me and they, and it was no longer, we're going to tell you what to do. It is, you're going to tell us what to do because that's why we hired you. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's like, that was like in my internal response was just like, whoa, I am so, I'm so used to being told what to do. Do you wish they would have told you that prior? I do. But, but here's the thing. They didn't know it until I brought it up to them months later because I didn't even know what was happening, right? It wasn't until I went through this like extremely challenging growth period of being like, it shuffled my, like my internal mechanisms, man. Like I was just like, whoa, I was pushed to a new level as a professional that I just like wasn't, I wasn't familiar with. And I didn't really know what was going on until like I grew out of it. And then our co-founder, who's very much like a coach and mentor for us as well. She, I expressed this to her and she just like talked me through and she said, you just, you're growing, like you weren't used to it. So now I, then I was very vocal about it to the team. I said like, Hey, you guys don't realize this, but like, this is a different level of autonomy. Um, candidates need to know about this. And we also need to interview based off of their, their level of like, of comfort with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the types of things like, and I, and I realize like we're a unique company and like not every company, especially larger ones operate like this, but like you, you just like need to know, like you just need to manage every single expectation up front because it's only going to serve you. Turnover costs way too much money for one. Yep. Um, and this, these are the biggest decisions we're making as human beings. Like we, we are, we, we are like choosing who we're going to work for. And now the meaning of work is really changing too. It means more than just like checking a box or getting a paycheck. It's like we want different things out of the work that we do. We want to feel something. And so if you can help people understand what they can potentially feel by being part of your organization, whatever that means, you need to do it up front. Um, I, dude, I go as far as like – I go as far as with transparency as wishing like companies would just straight up list compensation on job descriptions. Like – like you don't have to give like you're going to make $102,000, but you should at least put like it is in the range of 102 to 114. But why but, but like but even to that point, why can't See, this is things when I came into this space and I didn't mean to cut you off. 
But yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, and, I, and I'm sure you could give the objective reasons of just like political aspects. But pardon, actually, this is my podcast, so I'm pardon my French <laughs> to you. But fuck, like, whatever. I'm not fuck the political stuff. Like, just like just human being aspect of it. Why can't you just just tell me I'm going to make seventy five? Just it's be yeah. Just tell it's me. fear. No, no, it's 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 fear. It's like um. Like you, you, you see this in sales, you see this in marketing, you see this in recruiting, you see this in, in like every, all these industries, you know, it's like, it's, it's fear. It's like, if I tell somebody they're going to make 75 and in their mind, they're going to want to make 80, then they're not going to want to apply. They're not going um, to accept it anyway. Once they find out they're making right. 80. That's the thing. And it's like, you would rather have them opt out up front than waste all of the time. And like, I think like people like, oh man. Okay. <laughs> this no, is like where let's go down right. this rabbit hole, please. All right. This is like where I get, re- I get really frustrated with like with both sales and with recruiting, because I think that they're looking at the wrong thing. It's like leads don't matter. The only thing that really matters is converting the right people. Like honestly, even with sales, converting the wrong customer doesn't make any sense because your retention is going, is going, going out the door. Like that, that's just going to cost you way more internal dollars. If you, if you convert the wrong customer and converting or trying to attract the wrong, the wrong candidate, it does the same thing. Um, And so again, it goes back to this whole thing I was saying before, where it's just like, try to repel as many people as you possibly can, because the ones that you do attract are going to like totally resonate with everything up front. And it's going to just allow you to get to the heart of like what this person wants, what you can offer them, where you guys meet. And then if it works, then it's going to work out really, really well. Uh, and to that point, Nate, yeah. and to that point, were you going to say something else or? Well, okay. Yeah. But so, so this is like, this is getting me think, thinking a lot more about um, the way that candidates are looking at opportunities now. Um, the things like you were saying, like, as you were talking through, um, you know, like through this idea, I'm thinking about like a candidate being able to go somewhere, a, a platform, a site, whatever, you know, and being able to filter by like things that really matter. Right. And having those opportunities that would align with like, there, there's a site called key values, um, there it's key values is amazing. Um, it's tech specific engineering specific, but it allows engineers to basically filter by like match their values to company values and then see, see what opportunities align. And I'm seeing that like on a deeper scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. What you just said is amazing. Cause I'm, I'm I'm probably got your brain going there and, and contact me offline here. If if you want to, I know you're busy already with your with your full time job, but I'm sure there's some level of entrepreneur in you. So uh, <laughs> let let me know if there's any sort of um, way that I can convince you to start an initiative here with me, sir. Because uh, as yeah. a, as I told you offline, I am all about partnerships. So um, yeah, that's something we can brainstorm later. But um, but to that end, though, to that point, you're making a great point with that example you gave because that's what I'm thinking in my mind with this beyond brand concept, and that's what I'm thinking in my mind. You know, screw the screw the 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 seventh initiative that I'm trying to get off the ground. Just the just the value of what I'm trying to bring to the employee and inevitably to the brand to this to this conversation that we're having here, which is, you know, why shouldn't the the employee know about these aspects and be able to truly make a decision for themselves if they want to put themselves in an environment that are conducive to these aspects? Because I'm not sure about the product you just talked about where it kind of cycles out different values and things of that nature. But I'm looking to go even deeper, right? I'm even looking to go, like, have you, and to put a bow on this kind of concept here, and I'll ask some other questions. Have you, have you seen, from an employer brand standpoint, the example I gave, where, the, where they go even deeper into some negative aspects? Like, I'll be completely yeah. transparent, right? Um, I did this yesterday. So I, the last three months, I've been recruiting co-founders. I made this very clear to you. I don't do anything alone. I, everything is through a collective initiative. Um, I have three co-founders in, in the E1B2 collective. Um, I made them incredibly crystal clear the things that I do not do well and the things that I'm working on, the things that 
adamantly piss me off that I'm trying to not let them, those things piss me off anymore. Things that I'm trying to develop as a leader, you know, uh, things that are, that are stifling the growth of the brand right now due to personal aspects, due to financial aspects, due to, you know, bandwidth and, 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 and objective capabilities. I was very transparent and upfront with those things in the beginning. And then I was open to having a discussion around how does that make you feel? How does that sit with you? How does that impact your gut when I let you know these things? Again, to the conversation we've been having, Nate, you show me a company that's doing that right now. You show me a company that has a blog, that has a video, that has something where a founder, a CEO, or a lead manager within that company is looking at the camera, writing a thoughtful piece of, uh, of a blog, or is talking to a candidate and saying, here's where we're not great. Here yeah. are some struggles you're going to have in the first couple of weeks here at your job that you're going to realize we're not doing a great job of. Here's aspects of micromanaging that are just right now simply not non-negotiable. We know we know we need to work on these things, but due to our bandwidth, due to other aspects, we just cannot be micromanaging due to maybe certain things that happened six years ago when we're trying to fix them. Like, I'm not seeing that level of transparency, and employees deserve that, Nate. Why, yeah. why, would, why, why would you want them to wait until they're seven months into their role and they're freaking out and they just, they just bought a new house or just got their girlfriend a new ring or just got a new car. <laughs> they, shit, and they'll get into the conversation of Nate where people move halfway across the freaking country for a job. Yep. Um, when I say that, to put a bow in all this and then we move into some other questions, do you recommend startups, brands, going that deep into some negative and somewhat suspect gray area transparency? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so one here, I'll give you an example. Please. Um, one question that we ask um, in the content that we create, um, a lot of the content that we create, I mean, we do, we do like narrative pieces, but a lot of it is Q&A style where we do like we conduct interviews. And um, one of the things that we ask founders is like fast forward two years and the business failed. Why? And um, mm, I love that's that question. A, yeah, I do too. It's my favorite question that we ask. Um, oh, wow. I love that question. It's, it, it's like, like we do it. Like I, I, I think like, you know, if you were to visit our career site, like on jobportraits.com and you look at careers, like you'll see, like we had our own dog food, like on everything, like every piece of content that, that we recommend we've created for ourselves. Um, every process that we recommend from a candidate experience standpoint, we've created for ourselves. We do it ourselves. Like you go to jobportraits.com and you look around and it is like, it, it's the template in a, in a lot of ways. I'm not saying from a design standpoint, but I'm saying from a content standpoint, it's, the, it's kind of the template. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, on the flip side of this, there's a big problem that, that interviewers, whoever that might be, whether it's a founder or recruiter or whatever, just don't know how to ask the right questions. Um, they're, asking, they're asking the wrong questions. Um, they're asking like, We've all been through interviews, dude, like almost every interview is the same, you know, God forbid you're a candidate who's, who's going through tons of interview processes. You're just repeating the same information to different people over and over and over and over again. Yep. It's like, it is the most mundane, boring process. Um, and it's not until you come across somebody who asks you really good questions that you start the conversation. And then it's a two way dialogue where you're like, you're, you're getting to the heart. Like it's becoming very transparent. Um, and so I think like, I think that is, that's really, really important. Um, you know, like what, like what potential challenges do you see in working this closely with a founder? Like if I was a founder asking you as a candidate, that question, and you were to give me like very like honest feedback, like now all of a sudden, like I'm showing my vulnerability as the leader of this company or as a leader in this company, because it's like, Hey, like I, I know that this relationship could be challenging. Like what kind of fears do you have around that? You know, like th- that's a, just a different level of conversation. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's crazy. And we keep bringing this up, but I'm glad that we're bringing this up. We, we both acknowledged that let's just throw an arbitrary number of 96%. That's cause that's my personal experiences of companies, leaders, founders, 
they're trying to paint this facade, this perfect environment, this perfectly aesthetically pleasing experience that employers are going to walk into. They're bullshitting. They're faking it. And then six months into the role, employees find out the truth. Right? Yep. Like, like, again, you know, the, the last job that I had, the CEO was running around with his head cut off. Stress levels were through the roof. Micromanaging was through the roof. Things were not great before I came into the picture. I never once heard any of these things. I never once was told that that was the atmosphere currently right this moment. I never once heard or found out that he was getting counseling. I never once heard or found out that he was working on these aspects and had an executive coach. I never knew these aspects. Now, if you had told me those aspects in the beginning, a couple things would have gone through my head. The first thing I would have probably told you is, hey, I have empathy for that. I'm in counseling myself. My mother's sure. in counseling. I understand the complexities. I, I've tried to start a couple of brands before. I know the pressure that's probably in your back. I'm willing to deal with those complexities. I, I, I'm here for it. Or I would have said, you know what? You guys seem like you're in a weird spot right now. Maybe this isn't the best time for you, for me right now. But inevitably, I would have quit anyway six months in. But I guess what, what CEOs, and you said this, Nate, are trying to rationalize in their head is, at least we get six months of productivity to some degree. <laughs> but that's not the case, though. You know that, Nate. That's not actually the reality. No. You're, you're burning money. The productivity is nowhere near where it could have been because throughout that entire six-month process, that employee is dealing with all of the things that you said they were going to that you, that you didn't say they were going to deal with. And now they're questioning it. Now they're under, they're, they're worrying. They're, so anyway, to put a bow in it, uh, I think we both would agree it is important to be as transparent as you can, negative or positive, about the reality of the day-to-day workflows, leadership styles, current state of the culture. And it's a good idea, correct? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and it's like, here's like what, like one thing that like frustrates me is, um, is agreeable like agreeable ideas versus actual execution of that. Um, I think there's too many agreeable ideas. Like if we were, if we were to say this to 50 people and say like transparency and authenticity, everybody would agree for the Mm -hmm. most part. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's a couple who went, everybody would agree. Few, if any would actually implement it. Um, and that's the problem. Like, it, it's like, you can't just agree with something and just, and not do it. If you disagree with it and don't do it, that's totally fine. It's like, you know, that's, that's your prerogative. But if you agree with it and don't do it, that, that just like, oh man, I can't, I can't stand that kind of stuff. You know where it comes from? And to finally put a bow in it and move on, you know where it comes yeah. from? And I want to get your thoughts on this too. Yeah. People ask me a lot. People, honestly, people ask me a lot, why do you, why do you study? I have this habit of studying three hours a day. I, nice. every, I wake up at 6, at 6 a.m. and I literally sit in, my, I sit in, my, I sit in my, uh, my office and I literally study from 6 to 9 o'clock every single day. That's amazing. Um, wow. I study, and this has been a habit now going on eight years. Um, I study neuroscience. I study organizational psychology. I study human behavior. I study all the different dynamics of HR and employee experience, anything you can think of. I study branding, marketing. I, 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 I want to be able to have intellectual conversations with anyone in the, in the realm of business and be able to kind of learn and, and grow. And I always tell people, at the end of the day, business is all psychology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up as an entrepreneur, really, because, you know, when you're 19, you're still a kid. So growing up as an entrepreneur and, and doing these things, I used to always question, why is like Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins and, and, uh, and even Seth Godin to a certain degree or, um, or, or Simon Sinek and like, why are these like motivational-esque, personal development-esque people, why, why are you guys in my face? Nothing you're talking about right now has anything to do with what I'm building. And then it hit me about three years ago, Nate, when I was like, you know what this really comes down to? It comes down to personal development. It comes mm-hmm. down to psychology. It comes down to a CEO, a founder, a manager, being aware and being self-aware enough and, and being you know, cognizant of the fact that it's important to think through these things and be humble enough to have 
very little ego within their being to be able to dive deep into these aspects and these dynamics and to live into the to live into the unknown, to be comfortable enough living into these aspects, to be comfortable enough to be vulnerable, to be straightforward, to be direct. It all comes back to psychology. Have you ever have you ever thought about it from that lens? Like have you ever questioned like the psychological makeup of someone you're working for at like a human level? Because I've mm-hmm. always questioned myself, why are Tony Robbins and all these guys why are they plugged into the startup community, why, the entrepreneurial community? Why are they talking about this stuff? Mm. And then again, like I said, it hit me three years ago. I was like, oh, the founders and the leaders and the managers that are personally developed and comfortable in their skin, that have very little ego, that, that understand human psychology, they're the ones that win. That's why Tony Robbins is worth half a billion dollars in working with the biggest brands. That's why Brian Tracy's doing what he's doing. That's why Seth Godin and all these guys are doing what they're doing. They're helping the brain. And last time I checked, the brain and psychology is the way that you live and work day to day. So mm. have you thought about it from that lens? Because it hit me like yep. a ton of bricks three years ago. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I know I keep bringing back everything back to like to my company. No, um, it's fine. Yeah. But it's like it's, I, it's the best example I have. Um, so one, one requirement for being it, – it, when I say requirement, it's not like we – you know, like you have to like report on this stuff, but like coming in, like when we, when we hire a new team member is, um, is Mm self-development. And it's like, you have to have done some level of work on yourself as like a prerequisite for being, for being like a qualified candidate. Like if you haven't, because we put, we place such, such an emphasis on emotional intelligence and we have such like, deep conversations as a team like you know like we we talk about a lot of personal stuff we talk about cultural issues we talk about a whole lot of stuff outside the world of employer branding which is like actually like we we hardly ever talk about it um and it's like if you need to have a level of emotional intelligence to be part of our team and that like starts at the top like both our co-founders are extremely self-aware individuals who do a lot of work on themselves um there is, there's this like value that we have, which is like take the other side, which means that regardless of political perspective, religious stance, whatever it might be, it is like we are always here to see the other perspective, whether we agree with it or not. That is the safe environment that we have. And like, dude, I cannot tell you the level of connection that we have as a team. I mean, yes, we're a fully remote team, but it is like we are so close that when it comes down to it and when things get tough and let's say runway is short, um, which it has been at times, um, you fight for each other. You're like, you're not even at that point, you're, you're not fighting for the company. You're fighting for the people that you work with because you love them so much. And when you can accomplish that as an organization, I don't care if you're six full-time team members or if you're 600, you know, if you think about it as like, you know, it, with regards to like microculture and the team you work with, like that is something very, very special. And that is extremely sticky as an organization. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you, that's where retention comes into play mm-hmm. for me. But uh, anyway, let's do this. Uh, you know, I, I, you know what I've just noticed here is, and I'm glad this happened because I'm definitely going to bring you back for a part two. I, I was so well prepared with so many tangible, really granular questions. And then we really have spent the majority. Actually, we got really, we got really, kind of granular in the beginning but the last the middle part here has been very kind of high level but these these high level conversations i think are the most important because you can you can always do a deep dive and research in some of the granular aspects you have to have the beginning stages of the high level and understand at a macro level of what's important and what to do um yeah let me ask you one more question and then we'll put a bow on here and let you let you get back to your day um I'm looking through these questions here because I want to kind of want to wrap it up from a level that I think will be important. At what size? This is a question that I'm I'm actually very curious about, just selfishly, um, and I think it's will be incredibly you know important at a granular level for any of the startups listening. At what size would you say it's time for them to move from a macro understanding of employer branding and its importance to actually? Maybe hiring you guys, bringing in someone internally, bringing in an external consultant of one, 
maybe having someone internally that has always wanted to start this initiative to say, yeah. hey, let me take over this. Um, I'm asking that question for two reasons. Number one, just a good idea to ask. So anyone that's listening. And then number two, selfishly, um, I'm looking to kind of understand what is that sweet spot where everything that I'm doing, right, with my collective, because employer branding is in that bucket. What is that sweet spot? What is that, that nice spot where my gut tells me, and then I'll let you answer, my gut tells me, 35-ish, 40 to, 40 to 200. Now, I know it's a wide bucket, but I think, I think the bottom of that bucket is like 35-ish, 30-ish, 40-ish. From your uh-huh. experience, from your background, what, what, what is that range of number-wise? And more importantly, at a granular level, what are the negative things that are happening inside of the company that immediately says, yeah, we got to push this big red button to start working on employer branding internally at like a real level? Okay. So, um, all right. Uh, so if we're, so for startups, like again, just for like context, employer branding is, is primarily a talent acquisition function or mm-hmm. initiative. It, it is like, it's designed to generate the right type of interest from the candidates that you want to hire. When you get larger, it becomes like a, a cultural initiative and a bunch of other things. But like, Really, that's like what it's designed for at the startup level. Um, so if you look at it from that perspective, I don't think we've ever worked with a company less than 40 or 50 people. Yeah. There's a couple of companies we got in early with, but they, they grew really fast, you know. Um, but uh, that's when like you have to like really look at it like what who do you have in place as opposed to like headcount? Um, like, do you have somebody who is leading in some way or another leading the candidate experience, leading the recruiting process. Um, if, even if you're outsourcing it to an agency, who's the person like managing that relationship, there's like, there's somebody in charge. If it's like, I still think these core content pieces that we talked about earlier are just for, for any level of company, um, they should be created. Like, as soon as you have like somebody in marketing who's also creating like customer facing content, they should create candidate facing content, like some core things that can live on your career site that will just like honestly set you above the rest. Um, get them in place. They're going to live for a long time. You can go back to, to customer acquisition. Um, but outside of that is like as soon as you have like, like an actual recruiting function, um, that's like when employer branding then starts to make make a lot of sense and that's like when you can like really put some like juice behind it um so you know for some companies that's like 20 and for some companies they don't have that until they're like at 80 if they're like a super product-led company so um yeah i I would just look at like responsive roles and responsibilities above all else nate last last question here two two questions actually first question is um I gave you a little bit of a taste of what I'm thinking from like a beyond brand and and that whole initiative objectively gut reaction. I saw your, I heard your brain moving. Should what I'm saying to some degree in some sort of format get built? Is that something that should be built? I know you guys are doing certain micro doses of that with the work that you guys do, but should there be an isolated initiative that, that, that supports uh, brands around, kind of un, you know unpacking and uncovering the true depth of you know decision making process and all these other things that are very granular very micro around internally what's happening within a company to employees should this be built and uh should I try to should I try to take a bite out of that um so okay so my sense is yes um i think that that should, and then I, I also look at like the execution of it. Like, what does it look like? Um, that oh, could live yeah. like, so, so, so that kind of information can live in, in the form of like content, video, audio, written format. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're talking about like how to distribute information. Yeah. Um, so it could be distributed in the form of like content pieces and assets. It could be distributed in the form of technology. Um, Either way, it's like the, the information is very needed. And that's like where I'm, that's like where I'm going to is like, does the information 
makes sense. And to me, the information makes sense. What I would say to do is, um, is conduct a good set of like market or UX interviews with candidates and present candidates this idea and say, if this existed, if this information was accessible to you in whatever format, how would you feel about applying at this organization? Right. And you, then you just get like real, cause the end user, it's not the company, it's the candidate. Everything has to be focused on candidate. Yep. It's like, this isn't about companies. I don't, this is, that's the, fuck you. okay. I, know we got, I, know I love it. I love right. it. This is the issue I have with Glassdoor. This is the issue I have with LinkedIn. This is the issue I have with every quote unquote candidate facing uh, platform is that it's not candidate driven. It is company driven. Um, that's it. That's a fundamental problem in this industry. And so everything, in my opinion, everything needs to start with the candidate first. It is about what the candidate cares about, what the candidate thinks. If the candidate doesn't care, don't build the thing. If the candidate really cares, then it matters and it needs to be built or designed or distributed or whatever, in whatever format. Um, because if candidates care, companies care. Can I, um, can I ask you, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the time. We really had that. Yeah, no, we, um, I know we do. There's one thing that I want to say, and then I, I won't forget this. I, when, I, when I ping you again and we have a follow-up call three weeks, four weeks from now, we can talk more about it in depth. One little thing I would say, caveat to that is, I don't know if employees understand that's important. I think they're being employees. This is a whole other conversation, Nate, and I know I might jog your memory or jog some thoughts here. Employees, in my personal experiences, they're brainwashed. Like, like they're, they, they have been so, so conditioned of like the industrial age of like, go in, do a job, get out, I'm a machine. Like, I'll just deal with shit. I'll deal with, I'll deal with bad leaders. I'll deal with bad environments. I'll deal with bad pay. I'll deal with horrible decision-making processes. I'll deal with having zero autonomy. I'll just suck it up because I'm grateful to have a job. Is that a thing? Now, I know that maybe isn't a thing at the tech startup world, right. but that's a thing in the majority of the 90% of this world. Yes. Like my um, girlfriend, like my girlfriend could give a shit less about this. If she's like, it's just a job. Like I just go in and do my job and I don't care. I don't think about these things. And I'm like, yeah, you should. And, and then, and then not only that, you, when I start identifying certain aspects, she's like, oh yeah, that would have been really good to know before I started. Yeah. Um, so, so this, this comes down to the, 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 something I really believe in, which is you're not setting out to serve the entire market. You're setting out to serve, right? A, a subsection of the market. And yes. those are the people. It's like the people who care about this, you create something for them. Yep. You can't change the mindset of everybody else. If everybody else just wants to plug in and collect a check and whatever, that's totally fine. It's their life. They can do whatever they want and have whatever experiences they want. But there's some people who really, really care about this. Um, and that's what you create for. Last question. Since you're an employer branding guy, I'm sure you're, you have some sort of creative bone in your body. I give all the guests an opportunity to either A, ask me a question, or B, name the title of this podcast. You can choose either one. Um, I want to know, so I can ask you any question? Any, and it literally doesn't have to be related to anything we've talked about. Any question? Hmm. Okay. Um, what what are you most optimistic about? Adam, like in what context? I don't don't care, man. Ooh, that it could be it could be anything. Most optimistic about um, uh, yeah. You know what? I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, um, building this, building my third company. I'm um, I'm really really excited about it. I have a good feeling about it. I'm. 75% sure it's going to work. 25% not sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm really, really optimistic about it. I think I'm old. I, look, I'm, I'm 30 now, right? So I'm, I'm not 19 anymore. I'm not 23 anymore. I'm, uh, I'm seasoned. I, I'm experienced. And most, most importantly, I have a really good team behind me um, that are much more experienced than I am. And 
I'm really optimistic about changing this world because I think I'm coming into this world with the level of energy and veracity that uh, I hope you would agree does not come around often. I'm very intense with this world. Like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not fucking around here. So uh, that's what I'm optimistic about. That's what I'm excited about. That's wonderful, man. Yeah. I just, I, I love seeing, I, I love hearing like what is just like sparking stuff inside of people. I don't even care what, you know, what it is. That's amazing, man. So, uh, Hey, thanks. Thanks for this. Um, I know like we went super long, no, but, it's uh, fine. yeah, happy to do a round two, um, and talk about some, like, I don't know, some, some of the nitty gritty stuff. So just let me know. Okay. I appreciate that. I'll be pinging you in a couple of weeks here. I, and I'll let you know cool. when this is all edited up and recorded. Sounds great, brother. We'll Thank talk you soon. so much. All right, but bye. bye.